Thanks for listening to the sermon podcast of Cornerstone Anglican Church in Bridgeport. We are a people seeking to proclaim that Jesus is King by loving God and loving Bridgeport. Joining me today, and as we talk about this, so we're, what we're going to do today uh, something a little bit different. Um, we, last summer did some conversations as well um, with some of our, our passages. Um, as we've been talking through the story of Moses, um, what we're going to do today is is look at it through the lens of, of trauma, um, just so that we can um, try to create more awareness in a small way, and also more lenses for how we kind of see and look at scripture and how it connects to life um, today. So um, these folks with me here today um, have some more experience um, in this area from their, their work that they've been a part of. I'm largely here to learn and, and um, to make connections with the stories that we've been, been reading. Um, so this is not a place where we have prepared a ton or have all the answers or something like that, but it's something we're trying to just kind of talk together and see where we go, and hopefully it'll be kind of helpful um, in engaging with, with these topics. So um, could you each share just briefly um, kind of where you have context for this coming from uh, regarding trauma uh, with your, your work? Sure. Um, I'm a licensed clinical social worker. Secondary trauma, but it can be very much trauma in the truth. 
Yeah, uh, yeah. So that's like the the clinical perspective is like trying to see like how do we categorize people's experiences so that there's kind of a common language, which is really important for us, like as a church and then also just like any organization we're in to be able to like know what we're talking about. Which I appreciate Zach asking that question. Um, kind of the way like I zoom in on what trauma is is like. Oh, like looking at it from like a big T, little t trauma. So like big T would be like the clinical diagnosis where like maybe you've experienced um, something very significant, right? That's life-threatening. And then little t would be like um, more of a subjective experience of the trauma, but it's still, the brain is still registering it as a traumatic experience, even though somebody else could have the same experience and not um, have traumatic symptoms at all. So I think for now that's good, and we can get into more of the details of how the body responds later. Sure, yeah. So we're talking about this for two reasons today, then. One, because it's relevant to experiences like uh, for the survivor that we shared about a few minutes ago, and then two, because I, I think that even as we're reading Moses' story, there's a lot of things in his, in his life that would be pretty traumatic if we're reading between the lines a little bit and what's going on in his story. And that might inform kind of how we read the rest of, of his story from there. Um, what, what do you all see as, as we've been going through this, as you've looked at it a little bit this week? Um, they, I didn't give them much time at all to prepare. So we're just thinking on the top of our heads here. Um, but what, what are some of the events in Moses' life that um, would, be kind of, would be traumatic and impact? his development and experience and, and personality and reactions. A lot of things. <laughs> uh, I, I mean, from the start, I think, I think it seems like Moses has a lot of complex trauma, which is the same definition that we were kind of explaining, but that's like, repeated, prolonged exposure to traumatic events. And it's usually like most extreme when it's happening in a vulnerable developmental stage. And so I feel like for Moses as a baby, he is like, or even in utero, like experiencing a lot of prenatal stress because mom is wondering what to do for baby as a boy or not. I feel like I had a little bit of stress of like, I can have a boy or a girl, you know? <laughs> And it wasn't even stressful, it was fun. And so I can't imagine, like, I can't imagine having that weight of, of going through birth in general and then also wondering what's gonna happen to baby um, and then hiding your baby and the babies can often sense that, like, fear and attachment and read off of mom. Um, and then to be, like, you know, gone in a basket. Um, and uh, just thinking about some of the, like, the dynamics of, like, Miriam too, like also there's this moment of like parentification where she's got to like look after her brother as he's kind of floating away. So I think what hit me from the start is like that developmental trauma that's probably there um, that we totally have to assume how it impacts him, but I don't know how it wouldn't. So that's what stood up to me first. Um, I think say like just him because he's raised by somebody else other than his biological parents yeah so kind of, it's like both at the same time yeah like, it seems like he knows he's hebrew so it's 
seems like he knows that that's his mom, but also like somebody else is his mom, and she's not, so it seems complicated. Yeah, that's a good word uh, for it, I think. Um, yeah, so I guess what I think of is like him just trying to figure out like who he is, and then, um, and then killing, like the fact that he killed someone, I think would be really traumatizing for him, because in a sense, like he's defending his people, and so it's like, not murder exactly, but yet it kind of is. And so just having that kind of ethical crisis of like, who is he? And then it actually works itself out in like a very life-changing event. Um, and in and of itself would be pretty, I think pretty traumatizing for anybody. Yeah, and I think like across his lifespan, he has to like oscillate between his, like his birth family and his adoptive family, like the liberation of his birth family comes at the cost of his adopted family and, and the killing of the firstborn sons. And so, um, yeah, I imagine there's some real identity issues there. Also, if I keep smiling inappropriately, it's because I'm looking at Lily in the back. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, it just seems like attachment would be really complicated. There's this insecure, like, who is he attached to and are they really there for him? All of that it seems really like it'd be complex for him growing up and then create a lot of uh, just impact on his, on his emotions and development and, and responses to things after that. Um, just not having that healthy base of, of attachment um, as he's a child. Um, yeah, and then there's all the violence around him too, right? From, from the, the children. That he was was one of, and he figures that out. It seems like, um, and probably violence against his his actual mother um, in the midst of her family. I guess as a slave, um, which he probably witnesses, um, and then the violence of his adopted family and like being a ruling family um, over the slaves who are his his family. It seems like there's a lot building up there, and his like witnessing of and being wrapped up in. Yeah, that, that kind of made me wonder the moment where he does kill the Egyptian. I mean, I, you have to think like he sees that kind of abusive power every day. <laughs> like this labor is all around him. So I imagine that this is an assumption that there's this cumulative effect of witnessing violence and because uh, yeah, at one point he kind of snaps. But I imagine he would have seen many moments like that throughout his life. Yeah, actually, since you said that, it brought something to mind. Um, just this idea of, like, with trauma, especially repeated trauma, and being around violence repeatedly, like, you lose your grounding for what is considered, like, right and wrong, right? So, like, things become normal that shouldn't have been. And so now we then begin making decisions based on what is the new normal, and it's actually perpetuating more trauma, potentially. What are um, what are some of the ways that trauma manifests, like the symptoms of, of trauma manifest in people's lives? Um, just, I know there's a wide range of there of what that looks like, but what are some of the major ones? And do you see any of those in Moses' story that you can you think of? You can share what some of the major ones are in there on Moses' story, and then if you do see them, we'll just highlight that. I'm still thinking. Okay. <laughs> 
Um, I would say it. So like tra trauma has become a, like a bigger conversation, which probably all of us kind of know that already, just because people talk about trauma more now. Um, so I would say like in the past, like recent past, it's been more like anxiety, depression, like those types of things, like psychosis. It's being talked about in those terms, and those things are all still here, right? Like we experience them. But what's being talked about more is like some of the source of those things can be partially trauma, right? And so starting to understand how like anxiety can actually be actually just your trauma being triggered, right? Um, so that's I would kind of say that initially, and then also just like how we how we move in our bodies and how we interact with people, and like where we physically go, um, the situations we put ourselves in can be a reflection of like our, our past experiences. There's some like recreating, there's some recreating what feels like home even if it's not safe. Mm -hmm. is, that, is that kind of what you mean? Mm -hmm. like, so even if that's harmful, dangerous, um, there's a familiarity kind of going back to those scripts of, what's, what, of what has happened to you, mm -hmm. um, even though it doesn't make any sense. Yeah, I think, a lot of traumatic experiences can erode control away from people, and so sometimes it looks like a lot of self-sabotaging or um, triggering of more traumatic events, but it's people trying to control what they can. Um, and I saw that a lot with clients, where there was kind of this cycle of abuse and people would kind of manipulate the, the cycle and the timing of it to kind of almost trigger the abusive moments so that at least they had something within their control. They knew when it was coming. Um, just lost my train. To your kind of original question, I think um, along with like trauma being now a really common kind of um, discourse, which is good, I think a lot of people think of like fight, flight, or freeze. Um, and that's like the initial trauma response that I think can be classified, but I think in my work with people, I've seen that as more of a, a prolonged state for people. Um, so when I think of complex trauma, I think of those like kind of stress hormones being always pumped into people's bodies um, with each new event. I think people stay in those modes. So like a lot of folks are in flight constantly, like hyperarousal, they're always on the attack, mistreatment and blame and with flight this is where people are you know like avoidant and we see a lot of the self-sabotaging um they omit a lot of things they're it's fragmented and then the freeze we see a lot of submission and compliance um and we see like justification of the abuse that's perpetuated um and all of these are like the ways that are very help us to survive because I think a big part of trauma's definition is just that it's like essentially something that your brain doesn't know how to cope with. It wasn't made to manage that situation. So your brain kind of grasps at all straws and does what it can um, to, to manage that. Yeah. yeah. So just yeah to follow up on that the fight 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 and freeze and also control that you're mentioning in most stories it seems like we see all those some pieces, right? We see him, we see him jumping into fighting, 
and this initial response, right? This, this person that he kills, um, a number of other times throughout the story, he seems pretty uh, combative, um, and just his initial response is a strong um, fighting, uh, whether it's fighting God or fighting uh, this person, uh, fighting the, um, and maybe it's, it's used in some way to defend the, um, the daughters of Jethro as well, but there's like, again fighting people there. Uh, so it seems like it's very quick to jump into the fighting. There's the fleeing right into the wilderness. Um, there's probably some other places we could think of. Uh, does God really want him to stay 40 days up on Sinai, or does he just not want to deal with the people on the other side? Um, and there's some of those screws too, it seems like. Uh, and just like his, especially as uh, about going back to Pharaoh, which I understand would really be super difficult, but there's kind of this like, I don't know, like, send somebody else, I can't talk. Like, it seems like his, his ability to speak is actually collapsing and shutting down um, when it's connecting back to specific, because we don't see the rest of the story. It's just specifically was like going back to, to Pharaoh, who was related to him in some way. We don't exactly have the relationship with that Pharaoh, I think, but, um, and like really confronting that. Um, and then control just seems really good. Um, or just in the ways that, Moses seems to try to control things. Um, I guess killing them all back into a killing situation. Um, I guess this was some of what I was thinking about was this control piece. Um, but I'm forgetting some pieces of it now. Um, oh, the part with Jethro, right, that we read today where he's like, I'm doing it all on my own, and I'm, I'm going to judge all of these cases, and Jeff was like, why are you doing this? Let other people help. Uh, right, it seems to want to control all the different pieces of, of what's happening, uh, and it takes somebody else coming in and speaking to that, for that to change. Um, it seems like a dynamic throughout a lot of Paul's story that he's seeking to control the situation. Like at the water at the rock, also at the end, of this is the numbers, we're going to cover this passage. Um, but the reason that God doesn't want Moses to go into, or doesn't allow Moses to go into the promised land is the situation where he, uh, the people are crying out about them in the water, and they're, like, they're always crying like, complaining, um, which maybe that's coming from this generational trauma. But uh, the, he, God says, speak to this rock, and they will give water. Um, and Moses kind of like redirects the attention to him and Aaron in an instant. It's like, why must we bring forth water to you? And then he like strikes the rock with his, Staff instead of speaking to the rock, um, so the water comes out and it's kind of like putting himself as the control um, and uh, control person there in that situation too. So it seems like that that thread runs through a lot of stories. It seems like yeah, any other thoughts just on how that manifests? Then we'll talk a bit about obviously got working for a couple minutes. I think there's like just some unique places where you get to see God and Moses interact where you don't get to see that in other parts of scripture. And I think some of this control probably comes out in the burning bush conversation as well, where he's just kind of trying to think of anything he can. And I think they're, they're probably real fears that he's expressing, but he's also trying to control what he feels comfortable with in that and what feels safe to him. Sure. Which is a, a learned response that, needs, that people are used to Defend and protect, and but has to kind of be healed and, and worked out in our mind over time as it's as there's space to do that. Right? What are some of the ways that we see that 
working in and through Moses, that we see God making space for Moses' healing um, and transforming some of this experience in his life. Anything that comes to mind for you? Um, I think just very basically we see like God just continually coming back, or Moses going back to God, I guess, and like being used by God. And that's, I think, something for us to think about is like as we experience like real life and real hardship, like seeing God just always using Moses. And it wasn't because Moses was free of trauma or free of sin or, you know, free of whatever, but it was like, even in the sin, even in the trauma, even in ups and downs, disassociation, leaving, flight, you know, freeze, all of that, like God was still doing a work, even though it wasn't maybe what we would think should be done through a leader or something. Yeah. He's never like, he's never been too traumatized for that to be at work in his life mm-hmm. uh, in really important ways even leading other people. Yeah, I think you see a lot of God's patience in the in the ask of him to go back to Egypt at the burning bush. He's he's really like consistent and basic in his responses. I mean he repeats like over and over again like God of your fathers, Isaac, Jacob, and Abraham, like he keeps going back, and I feel like there's like a reassurance in there, and even though God gets angry with him, he is just kind of meeting him where he's at, Um, and I think being collaborative and allowing Moses to say what he needs, um, especially like, okay, fine, I'll send your brother with you, Um, so I think there's a lot of just like gentle but very genuine responses there and the way that God handles and works with Moses fear and just like kind of personality coming out. Yeah. And it, from what I'm learning, it, it seems like um, having peers, having collaborators, and having agency are all like really important pieces of having space to be able to heal. Um, and it, it, God sends oh, and of course then, um, there and, and God says, I will, I will help you, I will give you, I will give you the words. Um, but he actually also sends an embodied person there. Um, he has an encounter Jethro and family, which seems to be healing. Um, he gives him that space of, though he does flee the situation, he gives, where the place he flees to, God provides a space that seems to be good for him um, and has this like really physical and like daily just pattern and rhythm of shepherding, where he's just out there with the sheep and he's doing this physical thing. It seems like that gives him some space to like, to actually be able to heal and just like in touch with his, his body and the world and God, um, and just have space to be healing. Though it's not all fine after that, but it seems to be better. And God meets him in the middle of that. Um, then later on, he also is like, sends Jethro um, to be helpful and, and in the passage we read to like take to tell him that he can get people to gather with you and to be peers with you and to take this burden that you're putting on yourself off your, your own shoulders. So he seems to, to do that frequently and Miriam as well, although that gets complicated. Um, we'll see next week. Um, but then uh, agency as well, it seems like 
God respects and gives agency to Moses um, in saying, and like, sometimes when God is upset with something he's really done, like, he kind of leaves it to Moses to determine what's going to happen next. Um, and it seems like there's a few places that we see in Scripture where God's really, like, leaning on Moses to, like, his freedom to decide what, what he's going to do or what's going to happen um, that seems to happen a few times. Yeah, even in God's mouth, God's responding to Moses or making this space for you. I think what you were just saying, like it kind of clicks that the Lord is really like, like bringing him on like an empowerment process. And I think agency is a really important component of that. And that like, you can't really empower other people. Like people need to empower themselves with support. And, um, and so I think that fits in with that is that he's allowing Moses to be himself and gaining trust within himself and like and making some decisions and all along supporting him and guiding him and um and being stern with rapport and with authenticity when it's needed um yeah i think agency is so important it's a good point I was just going to share, we haven't talked about this yet, but just the idea of like generational trauma. Um, And so I think like similarly to how we see trauma as being like passed down generation to generation and then like even just within families and um, that those patterns and how it does affect our body. I think the way that we can approach trauma from like a healing perspective would be like social support, right? And um, using physical activities to actually bring like renewed, like um, like uh, being in touch again with our bodies. So like people will use music, right? As a way of healing to trauma. People will use dance and yoga and like really anything that like kind of gets us in harmony again with our body where there have been parts that have been shut off. Um, and the same is with the social support too, right? Like that we can come alongside each other and provide support for individuals who have experienced trauma is a way of kind of like, it's kind of the opposite, right? The antithesis of the, the way that maybe we feel cut off or maybe we experience uh, generational trauma, um, trauma within our family. Um, yeah, so even I've heard of some things about people doing things where you really attuned to another group of people, like a choir or a theater or some um, sports or, or doing things like you're saying the body with yoga, um, art, um, all those kinds of things can be really helpful but together with other, um, other therapeutic uh, help as well. Um, let's, so let's just, as we, we come to a close, um, there's obviously a lot more here, right? This is just naming a few things, um, beginning a conversation. Um, and just want to mention some other resources real briefly. Um, and then uh, there's a lot to know, but like, what's one thing that you want people to know or hear about as well? So um, as far as finding places to connect and get support, because um, I know like this is traumatic, very significant traumatic experiences, including abuse, are very common. Right, so it's probably a significant place, a significant portion of people even here that have experienced some really traumatic things. And we 
help in working through those things. Um, and a lot of people already found those places in, in a lot of really helpful ways, um, but um, that's important. There's a resource, um, Help Grow with Someone's Help, in our toolkit there that can help to just name some of the different types of, of helpful one-to-one -one relationships people can have, um, some of which is with professional um, counselors, therapists, um, and, and so on. So that's one thing to check out. Um, there's a lot of things. Um, there's a lot of organizations uh, to talk with with this intervention and responding situation uh, today. Uh, I have a book I've been reading, which has been really helpful, but it's also a lot and not everybody's most helpful thing. Um, it's been The Body Keeps the Score. Um, it's been really helpful in just trying to begin to learn, and that might be another helpful resource for people who find that kind of thing really helpful to dig into. Um, so what are just, what's something, a resource people should know about in some way, and just one, one thing that people should be aware of in seeing, recognizing, responding to trauma around There will be many other things that we can't say, so this is not a comprehensive one thing. Um, so I would say I think there's a conception that we won't necessarily find healing from trauma ever. It's like just management. And there is actually a way to heal. Um, you don't have to like, or we don't have to carry the weight of the trauma with us our whole lives. A lot of people do because they aren't provided the services, right, that are needed. But there are ways to reprocess memories, to reprocess experiences so that emotionally we relate to them in a different way. Um, it doesn't take away the event, it doesn't minimize it, but it does change our relationship to it. And just the fact that there is, um, there is a way uh, is something I wanted to highlight. Um, I would say, uh, a lot of you maybe have heard of this before, but there's a therapy called EMDR, um, Eye Movement Desensitization and Reprocessing. That's, that's become kind of a big deal recently, and it's basically just a way to help the brain sort through the memories and change the emotion, emotional association to the memory. Um, so people have different opinions on it, um, but that is a resource that I would say at least look into and see if it might be a good fit for you if it's relevant. Yeah, it's because not, not all therapists are the same also, right. right? So it's helpful to ask questions about like what kinds of things people do practice um, and what, what, like if there's something in particular that might be helpful if, if they're willing to do it. Mm -hmm. I have so much that I want to say. I'm trying to think of what would actually be helpful. Um, I just, I guess I just want to say that like, it takes time, um, that yeah, healing is really possible, um, but it can take years, and I think that's important to remember, like, for myself, um, and just like, having everyday relationships, because like you said, complex trauma is unfortunately common, um, and I, you know, worked with the same folks for like five years and the changes were like minute and incremental from the outside, but it was like, 
this person didn't blow up when they lost Uno. You know, and like that was a really big deal. And it took three years, um, but that's because they were in like constant hyperarousal. And um, so I just, I think, um, we don't always recognize trauma, mostly because complex trauma, like I think it's so entangled that it doesn't always like match what you see. <laughs> and so I think as the, the church and the body, we have to be like just in our default position needs to be grace with one another because trauma often looks like the complicated person in the room <laughs> and the person who is difficult. Um, and I don't say that to like be mean or label anyone, but I say that in especially extreme cases where people have experienced a good amount of abuse. Um, so I just like encourage us all to be patient. Um, and I, it is exciting that we get to see so much of God doing that in this story where he's just utterly like patient, even when he's angry, even when he's like a little twitchy for Moses. And um, yeah, there is, there is a lot of hope. God with moments has been that it seems that God that, that there's always hope um, for healing, that God is always still working, and nobody's it's too traumatized for God to like be in relationship with anything working um, in and through for other people. Um, and also that God has so much grace and mercy um, and, and sees and knows the hard things. Um, and that that's something for us to seek to imitate as well. Uh, it sounds like God's, God's um, work there. Um, so hopefully this has been a bit helpful. We are applying a lens that's not a biblical category, right? We don't see the word trauma in scripture. We're taking a modern lens and we're placing it onto um, scripture to work through it as scripture. Um, but this is recording the real life of Moses, right? And, and real life, and so the same real life as, as for us too. So hopefully it's helpful to take that um, and to, to just think through scripture um, in a new way together today. Um, if, if you are willing to talk more, um, these folks might be willing to chill, uh, chat a little bit um, as well. Um, but there's a lot of resources that have been mentioned, um, or um, I and other leaders in the church are glad to 